Wait a minute. You want me to get wet on account of you? Yeah, I think the world owes you living, huh? You drown, sir. Hey, man, I got on Swiss cotton underpants. Yeah, that's right. Cost me $55 a pair. You think I want to get all this brown water and shit all over them? Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 178, and it's also week two of our fourth annual Cagepalooza. That's right, all month of August, it's all Nick Cage. And so our movie this week is Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. And here to talk with me about it, he'd never seen it before, frankly, neither had I, is Phil Rude. Phil, how are you? I'm reeling. I'm reeling after this movie, <laughs> but, um, but I, I, in kind of a good way. I, I can't wait to talk about it. I've been, I watched this early this morning and I've just been just looking forward to this because I have so many thoughts bouncing around my head. Uh, I have to let them out. Um, and this is not unlike last year when uh, Austin and I were on Cage of Palooza for Mandy. Like, yes. Such a, such a wild ride that I, Almost couldn't contain myself. Yes, and that was one of that might have been my favorite uh, movie that that watched I watched last year for Cage of Palooza was Mandy because it's just bonkers. It's out there. It goes places. Yeah. And yeah. this this isn't Mandy, but this movie went in some directions and did some things in it that I wasn't uh, I didn't really know. I I knew almost nothing about this movie going into it. What about you? What did you I know? Am- any anything at all other than Nick Cage was in it? I knew this was a a cop movie and uh, kind of a pseudo sequel to the Harvey Keitel uh, Bad Lieutenant or spiritual sequel or something, and I knew that it was a a Werner Herzog movie. Um, uh, and then I I so it was in the running for me picking a Cage of Palooza movie, and then I went down like the cast list and I'm like, oh, Eva Mendes, Val Kilmer, Michael Shant, like this, the cast of this is really kind of incredible so it's i was like uh all right let me watch the trailer and the trailer still gave me nothing except that you could tell that like oh choices are made in this movie i'm gonna check this out <laughs> and i was not disappointed choices were definitely made yes so you had one up on me which is you knew going into it that it was a Werner herzog i didn't realize that until i started watching it um and it's it's interesting because it's called Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans, which is a, right. a really long, ridiculous name. Um, so the the writer for it, uh, who let me find his name, was um, Fink, William Finkelstein. Finkelstein. He uh, he wrote it and pitched it to Werner Herzog as uh, Bad Lieutenant, but not uh, not as a a remake of the Harvey Keitel movie. Um, okay. The Harvey Keitel movie, 1992, I believe it was, uh, called Bad, around there. Bad Lieutenant, um, and uh, kind of a cult classic. I've never seen it. I've never seen the the Keitel movie. I just remember it being around. It was like in the video store when mm-hmm. it came. You know what I mean? Like it was just like it was always there, but I yeah. never I never watched it. You know what I mean? Yeah, same for me. Like I've never seen Bad Lieutenant, but I've heard of it. I and and. I kind of feel like I need to just because of how much of a fan I am of Harvey Keitel. 
and I like his work, yeah. and that's supposed to be a, a, an amazing performance by him. But it got pitched to Herzog, and he's like, "Well, I don't really want to remake that movie." And Finkelstein's like, "No, no, no, we're not, we're not remaking that." And so they go back and forth, and he, uh, Werner wants to call it um, Port of Call, New Orleans. They want to, they're moving it from New York to New Orleans. Well, it ends up being that the the producer Edward Pressman was the producer of Bad Lieutenant, and so he wanted it for marketing purposes oh, okay. to be called Bad Lieutenant. Well. This was probably my favorite bit, and we're going to jump right into some trivia off the start, which is Abel Ferrara. This is like a clo- I'm, I'm sorry, this is like a Cloverfield situation where <laughs> they just a little bit. are like buying up these these indie sci-fi movies and go, yeah, it's a Cloverfield movie now, you know? Sure, yeah, exactly. And like it's from a bad a, lieutenant, yeah. <laughs> from a marketing standpoint, I get why Pressman would do that. You have a name you can trade on. I I, I hate when that happens, sure. but I also understand it. Werner Herzog is like. I don't. I've never seen that movie. I don't know anything about it. I'm just making this movie. It's got a corrupt cop. So Abel Ferrara, who wrote and directed Bad Lieutenant, when he heard that this was being made, it was like nine, 2008, I think, was when it got announced that uh, a Bad Lieutenant remake or sequel was being done by uh, by Werner Herzog. He hated it. He his quote was, "As far as remakes go, I wish these people die in hell." I hope they're all in the same streetcar and it blows up. Um, and and so somebody went to Werner Herzog uh, a little while later and asked for his response. And he's like, I've never seen a film by him. I don't know who he is. I don't know any of his movies. I hope that one day maybe we can sit down, have a chat, probably over a bottle of whiskey, and we'll both come out of it fine. And supposedly they did. In like 2018, they actually met and met for like three hours. And by the end of it, everyone was fine. Like the two of them were fine with each other because Herzog didn't go into it trying to remake bad Lieutenant or anything like that. Yeah. He hated yeah. That, 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 that was the title, I guess in interviews. He'd said like, I, I want to call it port of call in new Orleans. They, the compromise was fine. We'll call it bad Lieutenant port of call in new Orleans. And he goes, it's a corrupt cop. That's like the only connection between the two movies. Right. But so I just, I just found that hilarious uh, that they could just over a bottle of whiskey straighten everything out and they did and you know it, it is what it is this movie's it's not a bad movie i don't i can't go so far as to say it's a great movie but it's actually pretty enjoyable i mean for for what the subject matter is and what they're going it, it, what they do in the movie um, yeah i don't i don't disagree with that I, I don't know that this is a good movie but there is a good movie inside of it somewhere like you i think have to dig to find it um but it is enjoyable on another level like there's there are so much i i said choices were made but like that really is it like nicholas you're watching nicholas cage just make interesting choices about how he's going to play this increasingly manic character and you know, so you're watching the the Nicolas Cage madness that's been memed to death, but it's all really intentional and it's all mm-hmm. fitting of of where this story is going. It's not a bad performance at all. If any, uh, I think if there's any flaw with any of this movie, it's with the script. I think the script is insanely dumb. Uh, the dialogue is terrible. It it the it's like a a law and order style TV show procedural in that it just like, there's no depth to it. There's nothing interesting being said. A lot of it is real laughable. 
But every actor in here is making a choice. Werner Herzog is making choices. There's interesting cinematography. Like, this is an interesting movie to to kind of sit with. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned the script being probably the weakest link because it really is. There's not... It kind of goes all over the place. There's a lot it tries yeah. to pack in. But, like, for everything that it tries to pack in there, nothing is really explored. Um, And it's... Yeah. It's very like the tone, the tone of the dialogue can go from being kind of almost comedy like, like black comedy like to deadpan serious. And it, it's right. just, it's odd. Choices though, performance wise, I mean, the choices that are made are very, uh, uh, they're, they're made for reasons. And like Nicolas Cage, whether you like Cage or not, I contend that he is a very good actor. And he can give you a uh, a commanding performance. He can also just go completely batshit crazy. But he's never boring to watch. There's always something interesting going on. And one of the things he did in this that was a more physical thing that I thought was, uh, I just didn't expect, because again, I didn't know what the movie was going to be, was the way he manifested the back pain throughout the movie. Yes, yes. Because you only get one scene with him pre-back injury. And that is the very opening where he walks into the locker room. So this movie takes place in New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina is where it starts. And um, you've got Nicolas Cage and Val Kilmer, who I didn't realize was in this uh, until I, I started Val watching Kilmer. it. And they're walking into the uh, the police station like locker room because one of the detectives wanted Val Kilmer's character, Stevie, to get something out of his locker. And and I love that because this is the most random thing. You're like, ah, he's probably got dirty pictures of his wife in there or something. And they open up the lock and they start throwing stuff out of there. And sure enough, there's an envelope full of Polaroids. This guy's wife. Full. Full. (laughs) (laughs) He was keeping in his work locker. Yeah. (laughs) Right next to like five copies of an arrest report. And they're like, oh, okay. If this guy had been transferred already, there wouldn't be five copies of this. So they go down to the cells. And there's a guy in one of the cells as everything is flooding. One prisoner. So, so apparently nobody thought to go look for this one guy. Right. Um, you get this wonderful exchange between them before. And this is where the movie the movie can't quite decide if it wants the character of Terrence, uh, played by Nicolas Cage, to be straight up dirty cop or like have a heart. Because he yeah. does a lot of things in the movie that are just awful and terrible decisions and he treats people poorly. And then there's times where he's genuinely a, a good person. And he, and, and this one scene encompasses all that. Like he's making fun of this guy who's hit, sitting here in a, in a jail cell that's slowly filling up with water and there's snakes in the water and, uh, and all of this. But he, he ultimately decides he's going to save the guy and he hops in the water and there's like, they, they must not have shot anything to denote that he actually had some kind of an injury. Cause all we see is him jump in the water and we hear vaguely in the background, like, Hey, Hey, you all right. And then it's, he's in a hospital yeah. talking it's to a doctor cut to the, yes. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah. It's a really interesting way where they sort of like, they put him on the fence of like, Oh, is he going to, are we going to save this guy or not? And Val Kilmer's character is like, Oh, are you going to, you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to go down there and save this guy like he doesn't care. And then we don't explore uh, the line between leaving someone alive or not until the very end of the movie. And it comes back to those two characters. <laughs> right. So it's like they wanted that to be the the 
the difference between these two, but there's a two hour span between <laughs> when they introduce that concept and when they come back to it. And we don't even hardly see these characters interact hardly yeah, at all. They barely the have rest of the together. movie. It's, yeah. Like, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's really strange. It's almost, it feels like one of those movies where like two or three scripts were shoved together so it becomes really fragmented with some of the the things that get revisited. Um, and it kind of feels that way with how disjointed the scenes are. Like, it's just a series of things that happen that are kind of connected, but a lot of them are just, like, very, very random. And that I want to come back to because there is definitely something sure. something there uh, with the whole kind of how the scenes played out. Yeah, I, I jumped way ahead. I'm oh, sorry. no, no, no. Uh, that That's but, fine. Yeah, but... But Nicolas Cage, so so his character ends up with a back injury from jumping down into the water. And so for the rest of the movie, Cage plays him where his, his left shoulder is up higher and he walks with a yeah. little bit of a limp. And he He's does walking crooked. Yeah, yeah. And, and he does that for the rest of the movie pretty consistently, too. I have to give him credit for that. Oh, he commits for sure. He yeah. commits to that. And and that's so that's like his big thing in this movie is, is doing that throughout everything and that letting that kind of inform the rest of his performance. It's sort of like the decision he made in vampires kiss to do whatever that accent was that he was doing in that movie, which even he can't really nail down what the accent was. It was just sort of something like he made this choice. Well, my guy's got a back, uh, back injury. So, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll do this physical thing and he does that throughout and it kind of works. He can, because he's always, he never, seems comfortable in any situation now and that comes yeah, across the he, in the performance the way he walks around the way he sits and gets up from a chair the yes. way he does everything the, the way he moves there is like a a suspension of disbelief because you have to go yeah there's no way he would be on full duty he would be no. on a desk somewhere like because he literally is handicapped mm. um uh but uh yeah, I want to bring up, uh, there's a YouTube channel that I watch. It's called In Praise of Shadows, and he largely covers uh, horror movies. But he did a whole, like, three-hour video about Nicolas Cage oh, and wow. the career of Nicolas Cage. And the fact that he's, like, labeled as a bad actor. But the reality is, Nicolas Cage makes choices. And they don't always work, so he gets labeled a bad actor. But he is making artistic choices. And when he makes a choice he does commit to it and i think this is like a prime example of that because uh he he's running with this back pain the entire time and then he puts like the erratic drug use that's ramping up more and more mm -hmm. uh it's actually almost like a a ahead of the curve commentary on the opioid crisis in america it's like before that really became like a a mainstream news story like they're exploring that in this character. Uh, but he still keeps the limp in there with everything else. It's just, he really is committed to this and it really does work. Uh, my wife came in and sat down while I was watching this this morning. And she goes, oh, his posture is driving me crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> that's that's like half the point is you are supposed yep. to be uncomfortable watching this guy. Yeah, absolutely. And and that you're right. And, and that guy is right. Uh, who did that video where Cage does, he makes choices. Think about his career. First of all, he's from the Coppola family, right? So, like, obviously that gave him some right. good cachet early on, even though he went by Nicolas Cage. Like, people in the, in the industry knew who he was. That helped him. But 
he he's never been one to kind of rest on his laurels and like I'm just going to keep doing the safe thing. Even when even in this period of time, right. this like 2006 to 2012 era where he was just putting out like six movies a year and doing whatever. Right. Even doing that, he still makes choices in those movies. Yes. He doesn't sleepwalk through anything. He could have very easily, after the strength of The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off, just kept doing action movie after action movie. Oh, yeah. And been doing, gone the route of a Sylvester Stallone, a Jean-Claude Van Damme, a, a Bruce Willis, in the, the choices that he made of what to take, but he didn't. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to, I'll I'll still do some of those occasionally, but I'm also going to like knowing and ghost rider and like just do some weird goofy stuff like <laughs> i'm gonna do a remake of the wicker man because why not and it's funny you always i always read about his movies and especially the ones that are labeled bad movies and you'll get the people that are like oh this movie's terrible followed by somebody else saying well this is a brilliant black comedy and that's the thing with cage that he does so well is you're never you can't so misunderstood. <laughs> you can't label it. Like if you believe that he he and Werner Herzog were like, we're gonna make this and it's gonna be this really like dry, deadpan delivery black comedy, I can believe that they had that conversation of stuff like oh, that. Because I, I, I wanna be a fly on the wall of this little German man and Nicolas Cage hashing out what this scene is gonna be. Uh, you know, broken English and then Cage being all erratic and excited about the choice he's going to make. And, and just like, what did that look like? What did that look like on set? Because it just had to be some kind of madness and also kind of hilarious. Because like Cage, I've said this a lot, is when Cage is with an, a director who either has gravitas or has a, a good career behind him, you get a performance out of Nicolas Cage like... um uh, Bringing Out the Dead, for instance, is a is a movie where apparently the making of that movie was horrible because they shot it at night in New York in shot February. Shot at night in New York, yeah. But but the performances are great, and that's Marty Scorsese reigning in Nicolas Cage and getting like aiming him right. You you can't contain Cage, but you can kind of aim him at what you want. And then you look at something like Vampire's Kiss, which in retrospect is hilarious and and brilliant to watch. But that was a young director and Nicolas Cage going for it and the director like can't rein him in quite and this feels like it's Werner right. Herzog Werner Herzog is the type of director that's going to be like no go with that do something with that go go there see what happens and let's just film it and find out and like there's a when I said that I wanted to kind of talk about so a lot of the um, uh, memorable stuff in this was not in the script because it was basically either Cage or Herzog kind of improvising stuff on the set or before they started shooting. Well, there's a couple spots you can pick out that he's just rambling something on set and they're just oh, like, yeah. yeah, just go with that. Yeah. And, and like, you, you know, Werner Herzog was like, yeah, let's, let's try this out. Let's do like the iguanas. Like I love the iguanas, <laughs> which I really did. <laughs> also has probably my favorite quote from a director I have ever read uh, was so Herzog on the hallucinatory scene with the iguanas. There is nothing more wondrous than seeing Nicolas Cage and a lizard together in one shot. It really, it really was something special. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that is a brilliant quote. That's not even the quote I'm talking about. He says, and I think we're going too long. And then the producers are going to make me lose my iguanas. And if they make me lose my iguanas, I feel like I can't be a filmmaker anymore. That is such a I mean, Werner Herzog quote. <laughs> like you can hear it in his voice. 
and I can get what he's saying. That was a that was a choice. And when they, you know, Werner Herzog is like he's a like a. I'm not real familiar with with his entire body of work, but he's like a visionary auteur guy. Mm-hmm. And these guys like get off on making choices, and a lot of times they're unsafe choices. Oh yeah, and you got to imagine like they argue with producers a lot. You know, I this think... is stupid. Take it out, and it's like no, it's there for a reason. Like. Uh, I can imagine, yes, he had to probably fight for the iguanas, but that shot, it's all film grainy. It's its a completely different, like, film stock, yep. and it's Nicolas Cage side-eyeing a lizard <laughs> that isn't there. And it's it so is, it, that, that just sums up this movie, uh, uh, that in the, the dancing soul um, uh, uh, scene at the end. I just, I, I loved it so much because it, felt like it didn't belong in this movie and did belong in this movie at the same time. Exactly. And and not only that, but to to film it exactly like the rest of the movie for 90% of it or for most of the things that are going on, you don't do some weird visual effect. Um, you don't have to point out that it's hallucination. We We figure out that he's hallucinating because nobody else is even reacting to the thing that he is. Um, right. But to to have it look exactly like it's just it's just there and happening is so great because when he walks in, it's that low shot, and I'm like, well, that's an interestingly composed shot, and the you know the lizards on the desk, but I'm thinking that's eh, New Orleans, you know, I, I've I lived in Florida yeah. for a little while, there'd be lizards on on stuff all the time, not that size. I had a but... I had a four foot iguana in my garage that I just walked out into <laughs> one time, and I was like, okay, uh, don't leave the garage open in Florida. Yeah, it, it, yep. it's it's a real thing. Yeah. So so it didn't it didn't register with me until he starts saying what's with the iguanas and you get uh, get Val Kilmer's like there's no iguana there that ain't no iguana and he's like yeah it is it's an iguana and and funny thing is too is one of them was an iguana and one's a bearded dragon a bearded dragon yeah but still like just the, the ridiculousness of that scene and then to have like a minute and a half of just completely different music going and this like fisheye lens film grain, and you just got Nick Cage in the background of it, just side-eyeing it the whole time. It's so brilliant. It, it just, well, it, it, com- I just... It comes on the like heel... It, it also just it drops in the movie uh, in a way that makes sense, because it, it comes right on the heels of... There's a, a scene of paranoid Cage doing drugs in the bathroom, and he yep. keeps looking out from behind the the urinal divider. And I, my favorite part of that is he looks out like three times and then he doesn't even duck behind the divider to snort the Coke. He does <laughs> yeah. it right in the open. <laughs> and then, and then he comes into the lizards and it's like, this is so not the style of the movie, but it does, it does fit the sequence of events at the yes. same time. Like if it's going to be here, it makes sense that it's, here yes and there's a there's a certain genius to be able to balance these things in that way and still have it feel like it belongs in here oh absolutely absolutely and then later on the dancing soul is another great one because it's like the the (laughs) this tense moment the 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 italian mobster guy david i think his name was or whatever who had threatened him earlier Uh, yeah i think so comes back and they're they just started divvying up part of that heroin and the guy comes in looking for his money, and they have this quick shootout, and then it's just Nicolas Cage, and he's just staring, and he's like, shoot him again. What for? His soul is still dancing. And then the camera cuts over, and there's just 
it's a person in the exact happening. same costume as the dead guy, but a young man breakdancing. Breakdancing. In the yeah. middle of all of that. And I was just like, what is even happening here? This is And then the the iguana walks through. <laughs> yeah. So it ties the all the hallucinations together. It's just it's it, I didn't expect a, a big crazy drug trip scene in the you know running through this movie but it yeah. was totally there you know and it's intercut with uh, a slow pushing of cage and that look on his face uh, yeah and again yeah. choice he makes that choice like to to look like that he's somewhere between spaced out and like i don't even know what he was uh he's just high on the i guess heroin at that point or no crack they've been smoking crack they were smoking his, crack yeah out of his lucky crack pipe because <laughs> you gotta have a lucky crack pipe Travis. yeah exactly i mean you don't you, you know. don't have a lucky crack pipe <laughs> what's really put off by that oh. um it's yeah just... there's a uh that i think those were like the the psychedelic scenes but then there's other um there's other just like weird weird parts of this movie that also just feel uh, without being psychedelic, they feel surreal. Like there's the the pharmacy scene where he goes off in the pharmacy, mm-hmm. uh, and it just it seems to come like just straight out of nowhere, uh, where he's exploding on this this poor woman and kind of looting the pharmacy. Um, yeah. But it's it it just it, it, that's what I'm talking about when I say like these scenes that feel like they aren't connected to anything else in the movie. It's like, I I get where it belongs in the chronology of this movie and that there's a reason you're showing it, but it, it doesn't feel like there's any, like that's never brought up again. It's mm-hmm. never, it's never referenced to get, it just is a thing that happens. And then the movie just loses interest in it and moves on. And it kind of, the movie does that a few times uh, with, with actions, but also characters like Val Kilmer is in the beginning of the movie, Stevie. And then yeah. there's a moment where it's, it's right after that scene in the pharmacy where he is doing the interrogation and he's like, if he hits him, blah, blah, blah. So, he, you know, so cage gets over there, Terrence right. does. And sure enough, he slaps the um, Stevie slaps the guy. So he pulls him out of there and then we don't see him again for like half an hour of the movie until the lizard thing. I think. Yeah. It, yeah. So he's just like forgotten for a while. Like the movie's just like, all right, we're done with him for a bit. Um, when, when he goes, I thought it was going to happen with his bookie with Brad Dourif and as Ned, uh, his, oh, yeah. Sport, yeah, his yeah. sports bookie. Like I was, they had that first scene in the sports bar and I thought, oh my, if they only used Brad Dourif for that one scene, number one, that's quite the flex. Um, and number right. two, like that's a waste of Brad Dourif and they didn't, they brought him back. But like that scene followed up by him going to the traffic cop in at a trap at like, Somebody had hit an alligator. Oh, yeah. They go to the, find the state troopers, yeah, that, that wrote the tickets. Yeah, just out of nowhere. And you get uh, Faruza Balk, who shows up. Balk, yeah. For a scene. I was surprised two. to see her. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's me- maybe mentioned, like, in passing, but not even by name for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it just becomes uh, almost like the ex machina that, that fixes yeah. the bookie situation at the end. Uh, Brad Dorif, I'm glad you mentioned it because that character made me laugh so much. Like just the idea that your bookie 
would go to collect 10 grand from you at the police station. Yes. And, you know, like, and ha- have that conversation in, in the middle of the bullpen full of cops. And he's like bodily threatening him. Like, <laughs> like, okay, this would never happen. And that makes this just hilarious. Like, you're not even like mad at the movie for doing it. It's almost like this movie's got balls. This movie yeah. really like does not care. And I kind of, I, I thought it was uh, just darkly funny for that. Like all of this, it's one of the, I don't know how you want to classify this movie as like, is this one of those bad movies that's so bad it's good? I, I don't think that quite qualifies, but it's like this movie's so crazy that it's entertaining. And yeah. you you love it for not caring about accuracy and you love it for not caring about reality almost mm-hmm. like it almost just exists in its own pocket of reality yes this is this movie is not a cineplex movie right it's not something you go and you see at the the 12 screen theater uh that's right. playing everything this is the type of movie that was made to be watched in like a seedy dark uh like <laughs> like off the beaten path new york city place where they still let you smoke in the theater and like know where the theater is you, yeah yep. you have to know because like, yeah. there's no signage there's no like there's no marquee or anything like that uh that's the type of movie that this is and and i love that uh about it because you're right it does exist in its own little pocket of reality where like there's no way that they would have that conversation that loud and 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 the only thing that terrence tells him is like keep your voice down he's not mad yeah. at him for looking for his money he's not mad at him for coming to his work to look for his money he's just like just not quite so loud okay um, the, the whole scene where he goes back and confronts the grandmother and the older lady at the, oh my God. at the yes. assisted living home after he lost his witness because he had to find out the score of the game that he was betting on and his right. witness just walked away. <laughs> A 15 year old kid who was in at that point, do you think they were still in Biloxi or had they come back to new Orleans by then? I, I couldn't quite follow um, that. Uh, oh man, they were in Biloxi when he lost the witness, but he went back to New Orleans. That's where the assistant yeah. living okay. place was. All yeah. right. So, so um, he took a 15 year old kid who was a witness to this crime, uh, these five murders. He takes him from New Orleans to Biloxi and then loses him there and can't find him again. And the guy, yeah. the kid, the kid makes it all the way back and gets on a plane and heads for England. That's for England. And then the next scene, uh, this made me laugh a lot. Uh, let me find the guy's name. Uh, Jeremiah Goodhusband, the yes. district attorney of, of New Orleans, uh, has them in his office and he goes, Scotland Yard just called. And I'm like, this is where I'm like, this is like a, a, a episode of Law and Order that was written by a high school student. <laughs> You know, like, like, like just the dialogue, the exchanges, the series of events and how they explain things are like, well, Scotland Yard called and they have your witness. And it's like, okay, like this. But but by this time, like we're two thirds into the movie and you just accept everything that it's throwing at you and you just go, okay, this is let's let's go. Let's get even crazier now. Sure. Uh, As he almost killed an old lady and and was waving his gun around (laughs) an old folks home. It was just just madness by this point. And like that reveal of him in the room, too. It's one of those where you just see it coming. You're like, oh, he's behind the door and then the door. And he's just like he's he's again, he's in that semi hunched stance that he's rocking the whole movie standing behind the door with just 
this look on his face. Like he's just ready to shred them before they even start talking. And then the scene just kept getting better. It just kept going yes. further. Oh, it like that. Yeah, he's, wave, had... he's waving his gun around, which he keeps in the, in the, the waistband of his pants, by the way. Yeah. Uh, a, a <laughs> Lieutenant in the police force. He has a, a suit that doesn't really fit him well. And he keeps his, his cannon carries a 44 Magnum because he thinks he's dirty, Harry. Yep. <laughs> and he's got it tucked in his pants. And when, uh, I, this is what made me laugh in the pharmacy is the security guard comes up and he's like, he's like, I'm a cop. And he just, he doesn't even show him his badge. He shows him his gun. Yeah. And the guy's like, oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> it's just, it, I mean, it's, this is what I mean. And it's never questioned. And I think by this point in the movie, you're not questioning anything either. And I think that's kind of the genius of this movie is it just draws you into its little world. Yep. And you just you just go with it. You you go with it. You know you recognize it as ridiculous, but you go with it anyway, uh, because you're just having too much damn fun with it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And like the scenes where he goes to see his dad, who lives, I guess, on the outskirts of New Orleans. I'm oh, not yeah. really sure. And uh, and his dad and his stepmother, who's played by Jennifer Coolidge. That was another. So the introduction of her was a scene that made me laugh out loud because it starts <laughs> off with her. And she's talking about how she can't take care of the dog. And she's lamenting, like, his dad is, we, we've established that his dad is an alcoholic because he mentioned that already. Right. And, um, and also a former cop. And, uh, and here's Jennifer Coolidge and she's saying, like, he wants me to take care of his dog while he does the meetings and all this. And I have to go to work at seven o'clock in the morning, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's great that he's trying to get sober and he's been down this road once, but it didn't work. And then she's like, I keep telling him he just needs to stick to beer like I do. And she just pulls up a bottle of beer and takes a, t- a tug off. Day drink and already, I lost yeah. it. I was like, that's so, that is, that is genuinely funny in its delivery. And it's, it's not played for a laugh like no. overtly, but, it, but it is at the same time. And it's just like, that was so well staged and so well put together. And I did not see that coming at all. It works on so many levels because it is like, it is a legitimate portrayal of, there are people who are legitimately like that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't drink anymore. And they're drinking beer. Yeah. And it's like, I thought you didn't drink anymore. They're like, oh, this doesn't count. You know, like, or, or I don't do, you know, I'm sober because I, I'm clean because I don't do drugs anymore, but they still will like drink. Like there, there are levels of people like that. And you can like, that's a, a serious portrayal of a type of person that exists in the world. Yes. But also the delivery of it is silly and it does fit this movie in the more kind of uh, cockeyed way that it comes at all of these just strange characters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like almost like a, like a Terry Gilliam movie where everybody is just a little bit crazy. Uh, but because they're all crazy, it's the new normal of this world they're showing you. And that's sort of like Jennifer Coolidge's character. Um, I thought Cage's dad was like the most normal. Yeah. Uh, one of the bunch. He was the most like level-headed. And I don't know if that's because they were portraying him as like, this is the sober guy. <laughs> and everybody else is crazy on drugs and booze uh, because that's this whole movie is drugs and booze. Well, and, and what it makes you think too is like, okay, so his dad was probably a lot like Terrence was at his age and he's, sure. he's come around the bend and he's genuinely trying to fix himself now. 
Which, by the way, did you recognize that actor? Because in his first scene, I'm like, I know who that is, and it was it bothered me. Yep. Until I finally That's looked Marvin it up. from uh, from Die Hard Two. Yes, it is. And uh, the uh, the police captain, uh, the black guy that Cage worked for. Yes. Uh, he was one of the terrorists in Die Hard Two. Yes. Uh, that guy's been in like everything. If you go into his filmography, you're like, oh, this guy's been. Uh, I've seen him in a hundred different movies. He's a character actor from like the eighties and nineties predominantly. Uh, he's great. Yep. Vondi Curtis Hall um, is his, That's his name. name. Yeah. He is fantastic. Um, not only just as a, as a great uh, character actor, but his um, portrayal of Ben Urich on the daredevil series. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was, I loved it because I always felt like Ben Urich was a character that needed this kind of really good grounded portrayal. And I, I, while I love Joe Padliano, his version in the movie with Ben Affleck was just too, like, it was too, it was, it was too meta. It, it knew itself too much. And like uh, that whole movie was too something, but yeah, uh, no, you're but, right. Like that, that character needs some depth and some, some gravitas to it for sure. And, and he was, he was totally that. Yeah, he's he's great. I mean, I I always loved his part in uh, in Die Hard too because he's memorable. He's one of the first terrorists that he put, runs into and he fights him in the yeah in the baggage in area. the luggage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so it was cool um, to see him. Yeah, this movie was just like the cast was just full of great character. I mean, Jennifer Coolidge uh, really kills it as that role too. She really does. <laughs> she surprised me because uh, she's not someone I typically am like. I'm like, yeah, she's fine. I know we all like the the American Pie. Like that's what she's best known for. Mm-hmm. She just show up and like, uh, she's uh, what's the what's the Kirsten Dunst one about the beauty pageant? Um, oh, drop, drop dead gorgeous. Yes, the, it's like the reality show of the, like she's in that and she's in like all these '90s comedies. But she was like legitimately good in this. It was like the first thing I've seen her in where I'm like, that's a really kind of complex. And uh, difficult role, and I think she handled it really, really well. Well, it very easily could have been ridiculous and silly, but she didn't yeah. play it that way. So, like, and you know, I talk about how I started laughing when she pulls the beer bottle up because it was just so absurd, and it just hit me like it, it hit me out of nowhere. But her portrayal throughout all of it was great, and then to see her at the end of the movie, where it's one year later, and she's cleaned up and sobered up, just like the dad has. Right. Um, and like we're led to believe that Nicolas Cage has at the time, like all of that. I like that. So I just, I really dug her. And the other one that I was really surprised by was exhibit as big fate. Um, Oh yeah. He was good. He, I mean, he really was, he, he got to play, uh, you know, a gangster. Um, and so it fits his persona a little bit, but like he was legitimately the scene where they arrest him is great because he's got this combination of, yeah, I kind of knew that something like this would happen, but also he's blindsided by it because there's Terrence right there. Yeah. And so, like, I believe I I kind of wish he had been in the movie more. But again, as we talked about with the movie, it sort of picked up and forgot about things all the time. So it's like they sort yeah. of big fate was was a big part of the first act. And then we sort of forget about him for a little while before suddenly Terrence is like, oh, you know, I can I can do something with this guy. And he goes to the restaurant where he's having dinner. And starts talking to him. Yeah, and the the whole thread of trying to solve the murder just goes away for like a third of the movie. Yeah, and then they come back to it at the end and wrap that up. 
But you're right. He is he is surprisingly good. I'm always really skeptical when I see uh, rappers get cast in a movie because, I mean, it it can turn out really well because like like Common is really good. Yeah. I don't know if you ever watched uh, Hell on Wheels. Common I, was great in that man. I haven't he was, like, seen the best part of it. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but I've seen Common in a few things. And I like him. The thing yeah. with like pop stars and rappers that they do have that does help a lot when they try to cross over. Uh, and I think pro wrestlers can have this too if it's if they're if they have good acting chops is charisma, right? They have a presence yeah. to them. So, Common or Exhibit or Buster Rhymes. If you ever saw Narc, which was the Joe Narc Carnahan, is so good. And, <laughs> Narc and is so great. Yeah, that movie is great, and Buster Rhymes is really good in it. Why? Yeah, I mean, Buster Rhymes has charisma upon charisma. Yeah, that That's helps. a terrifying scene when they have. They have him in oh. the garage. Oh. <laughs> that if you've not seen Narc, go see Narc. Like that that movie's so good, man. Well, really... I, I talked about that a lot when uh, Ray Liotta died uh, yes. a month or two ago. Like, like people are oh shouting out, oh he's great in Goodfellas, great in this, great in that. And it is like uh, uh, Narc and uh, uh, Copland. I watched both yes. uh, after after Liotta died because th- those are great movies to revisit. They're both awesome. They really are, and it's a couple of directors that I feel like get underrated too. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, Narc is is really good. But it, there, there there is that thing, right? So like John Cena has that as a pro wrestler, or or Dwayne Johnson. There's a charisma that they have, and they're uh, they they are obviously ones that um, do it well and can act, and that helps. There's a there's a movie star charisma to those guys. I don't know that The Rock isn't. Act, you know what I mean? Like he can act, he can get through a movie, he can perform, but uh, it's like, you know, are we ever going to see like, and the Oscar goes to Dwayne mm. the Rock Johnson? <laughs> you know, well, what I mean, me, that's the the only uh, uh, measure of a good actor. I just am, you know. I mean, maybe yeah, not, I, but I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, I do. I do think that um, he is he is charismatic. I can't. You know, there's no denying that for well, sure. And I think for him, the ability is there, but the choices he makes are to make stuff that's going to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. And so he's going to sure. do these big budget kind of action PG-13 movies. Because if you ever see, uh, do you remember um, his uh, version of Walking Tall? Did you ever see that? I, re- I remember that it came out and I've probably caught bits and pieces of it on like you know, TBS on the weekend. It's so that kind of movie, the movie on a whole, it is a remake of walking tall. Um, so right. it's, it's perfectly fine, but there's a scene in there in the courtroom, um, that he's really good in. And for his early in his acting career as it is, you're like, okay, this yeah. guy's got some acting ability. He just chooses to kind of go in a different direction. I felt the same way with John Cena. And then I watched peacemaker and there are scenes in peacemaker where I'm like, this dude can act like he can give you emotion. Oh, really? He really can. That's and, interesting. Yeah. And and you get some of that with different rappers that cross over too. Not all of them can do it, right? Um, common is uh, the uncommon version because he's really yeah. good. Um, he really is. Yeah. Uh, and and I would put him at a different level, but but exhibit in this was good, and he's fun. He, when he was on screen, you were drawn to him. Um, he's just yeah. he had he carried himself well. Plus, he, he got to be part of a couple of the funnier scenes and, and the more memorable scenes. Oh, the shootout. Sure. Yeah. I mean, both both the shootout, the honestly, that scene where they uh, where he picks them up and they're driving and he goes, yeah, I got to make a stop real quick. And they stop by they, they make a stop and they get out of the Cadillac. 
they're driving that escalator around and they pop open the back hatch and there's just a body wrapped in garbage bags and weights. And he's just carrying on a conversation with Nick Cage about Stuff going on in the background. And and they're just they're having this conversation about real estate and building, you know, condos down here and it's going to be this great waterfront thing. In, meanwhile, his two flunkies are back there dropping a body in the water. It's so it's so strange. The things that go on in the background in this movie, uh there's the there's that and then there's the the scene of uh him driving the witness to Biloxi and the dog is in the back seat. Yes. And the dog is panting and they never drop the dog panting down in the sound mix. So it's nope. always like right there. <laughs> you feel invaded by this dog the same way. Like they put you in there with what's going on in the background. Uh, and then of course there's the scene I, I made note of, uh, when he's shaken down the uh the prostitute and and the kid in the club oh yeah uh for drugs and he's he's having sex with this hooker and she's blowing smoke into his mouth off a crack pipe and the guy is just in the background kind of like awkwardly watching <laughs> and trying to like walk away and i mean it's like I'm sitting there watching this kid and it's funny and awkward. And all I can think is like that kid is all of us right now. That yes. kid is, is awkwardly watching this and wanting it to end at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, there's just such bizarre stuff in the background of the, of all of these scenes. And some of them are funnier than others, but they're all really, really strange. Well, and I love the kid because he's awkwardly watching and he's trying to get away, which is sort of how I feel when I'm watching that scene. And then he, he tries to walk away, and Terrence shoots his gun. It's like the one time Terrence unloads uh, his pistol. He shoots in the air and tells him not to move. And, and as, the, uh, as the audience, we're like, oh, we're still stuck here for the rest of this scene now. Yep. Like we, can't, yep. <laughs> we can't get away. Um, that also was interesting to me because most of that scene was one take. Yeah, it was. There was a few long takes in this, which I'm a sucker for a long take. Um, I love. I too. I always. I'm a, on a technical level. It's so impressive. Oh yeah, just just the idea of like the things that go on and how you have to reset everything if one person messes up and how easy yeah. it is to lose your spot or forget a line or something and to do those was great. And this one, like that scene, the the first scene when he goes into they go to the housing project and he goes to the next door neighbor and then he walks oh, through yeah. the house and he grabs yeah. the grabs the marijuana and he goes out the back door and then into the other door to get uh, G. Yeah. Um like that was all one long take and I was I as it was unfolding I'm like, "Oh, they haven't cut. Oh, okay. All right. I'm into this. Like this they is just keep this going. kind of cool." Yeah. So, yeah, I loved all that kind of stuff. Like from a technical standpoint, there was some really cool things they did in this movie. Um and I like oh, the, the camera works great in this movie. I I think the camera work is really really interesting. From the, the very opening, it opens on the shot of that snake, that water snake, mm -hmm. uh, you know, weaving in and out of bar. It tracks all the way through the in, until it pulls back, and it's like the kid in the holding cell. And I'm like, that's such a that's such an interesting way. And, and it stood out to me doubly because like the the title comes up, and it looked like TV show credits. It, did. it didn't look cinematic at all, but they're put against this very cinematic tracking shot of of a water snake. And I'm like, yeah. this is. This is so interesting already. It's the opening shot of the damn movie. Uh, and, and I'm already like, what the hell is this thing? And uh, yeah, it was, it was so, 
I don't know the way they they moved the camera and and like I said that when the, the the psychedelic the hallucination scenes where they kind of cut to like a a grainy I don't know if they use a different film stock or it's just a filter they use later but they make it look different and they they kind of put it on an angle a little bit and it's just such a there's a lot of really interesting cinematography in this movie there is like like those that was as close to like super cracked out kind of psychedelic vision they would get was they would put it in a little bit of a dutch angle they drop it real low um like the the first time they did that was with the second alligator the the living one yes and it was such a weird shot because it just cuts to that shot of the road and then you realize there's an alligator right there and then it kind of follows the alligator for a second as the as the gator kind of takes off and, and moves away and that was the first time you saw that and then we see it with the lizards a little bit later Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I, I loved some of the, the different lighting choices and cinematography that they did. Like that shot, uh, the scene you're talking about where he shakes down, uh, the kid and the prostitute as they're leaving the club, the gator, what was it called? Like they named that uh, club because they did the exact uh, uh, same scene at the end, towards the end of the movie. Yes. It, it's gator something, which I remember because it's, uh, this is, this is, uh, tangent, but Gator was the the pimp name of Will Ferrell in uh, the other guys, <laughs> and right. his wife in that was Eva Mendez, and Nicolas Cage is essentially her pimp in this. Yeah, and then they show like the Gator spot or the Gator trap or whatever the the club was called, and my brain just connected all of that stuff in the weirdest like six degrees of Kevin Bacon <laughs> thing, you know? Like I love it, uh, but. Yeah, I love it because yeah, I do that kind of stuff They repeat the too. scene at the end uh, to show that, like, oh yeah, he's still pulling this crap. Mm-hmm. But even like the lighting choices of that, like the way that they shot uh, this kind of seedy part of town coming out of the club, and his, yeah. the 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 look from the first person view of his car as he starts it up and slowly follows them into the the uh, parking you know parking lot there, and just all that kind of stuff. Uh, how many times did we see from the inside of his car when he flipped the lights on? And like just a simple thing like that, kind of reflects. uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just just the simple act of like seeing from inside the police car, and then the police lights come on. I thought were was really really neat. Um, I just yeah, I I found myself really digging this movie. And the the funny thing was is my impression prior to I would say the last couple of days was that this movie was panned by critics and like. Nobody yeah. liked it, and it it would always show up as like the the bad Nicolas Cage movies. And I looked; it's a IMDb rating of a six point six. Um, it's it's Metacritic score is right around seventy. You know, Rotten Tomatoes was actually the critics kind of liked it. Um, it was fairly fairly well rated by the critics. I think it was just it didn't didn't have like a huge release. It wasn't a big blockbuster, yeah. and so. I can kind of see like why. Like you said, it's, it's it's an art house movie, kind yeah. of. It's a it's it, it's not going to show at the Cineplex. It's not going to be there very long. Yeah, I mean, it was a twenty five million dollar budget. It made about ten million worldwide, so it was not a wide release. Right. It wasn't a big movie, um, but I can kind of see why critics enjoyed it, and and I get it. I get people that watch this looking for like a hard drama. Or something like they get this idea that it's going right. to be, uh, it's going to be closer to like Narc, and it's not that movie. Um, and the or choices... people who love like cop cop movies, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean, yeah. like like those dad movies that are like 
you know, cop dramas. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, it's like I saw Inglorious Bastards in the theater. And it was full of like, like boomer dads in the oh, theater. Right. Yeah. And they were getting up and leaving in droves when because they thought they were going to come in and watch the Dirty Dozen, you know, right. you know, reimagined. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what this movie is. No, no you, it's, you've I, clearly I never seen that. the Tarantino movie, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> it really was that. But it is, I, I think there is, I think you're right, that there, there is an expectation of what someone is going to get. Mm-hmm. And they get something completely different. And yeah, that's going to put a lot of people off. Yeah, but what I like is the choices, choices are made. Whether they're good or bad, choices happen in this, in the making of this yes. and in this movie. And I personally had a really good time with it. The further I got into the movie, the more I'm like, all right, this is batshit, but it's kind of fun at the same time. Like it's exactly. Cage, yeah. Cage and Herzog getting to play in the pool together. Like they just had, they, they had fun. They improvised a bunch of stuff. Um, and you can tell some of that gets improvised, not only dialogue, but you get this feeling like setups and, and ideas for scenes were kind of made up on the fly. There's weird yeah. stuff. Like you mentioned uh, Terrence doing coke in the bathroom and how he's like he's looking around and he's paranoid he's paranoid and then he just kind of does it out in the open anyway and like the same thing when he's driving the car to Biloxi and the kid's asleep in the passenger oh, yeah. seat and then he just starts tapping out coke on his hand and I'm like you're just gonna do that with this 15 year old and the kid kind of opens up his eyes and then closes him again sleeping. Yeah. Like, and it's like <laughs> okay alright so cool and that was at that moment I'm like alright that kid is gonna like run or something. He's yeah, that kid's gonna bolt for sure. Like that kid is not in the end in the rest of the movie, and that was this that was the moment that uh, definitely tipped me off to that. Um, yeah, but so many things like this random out of nowhere scene where he takes Eva Mendez out to that shed in the backyard of I his dad's just gonna, house. I was just gonna mention that because <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything in the rest of the movie. It really doesn't. <laughs> But there's something about that scene that's like, it's really endearing. Again, it's that whole thing where the movie wasn't, it never gave us like, this is a good guy, this is a bad guy. It was like, we get a little bit of this, and then all of a sudden he has a scene like that where it's very heartwarming, and it's very touching. And like, you can tell he has a genuine affection for Frankie, and he actually does care about her, but the beginning of the movie, it doesn't feel like that. Like, it just feels like he's just kind of going through the motions with her, and she's you know, she's just the the girl du jour. Is the feeling they, that you they get. do favors for each other, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, that that what that shed scene. The funniest thing is when he, they go inside it, and he reaches up to turn the light on, and it doesn't come on. He goes, "Oh, that doesn't work anymore." It's like, and I go, "Nicholas Cage has never been in that shed before nope. they started filming." <laughs> right now, like, like, yeah, no idea what worked and what didn't. Uh, but Eva Mendes, I thought, was great in this movie. I really think she gave like a a grounded performance she's mm-hmm. still like made interesting choices and she made me believe in that character that character was a a sex worker who wanted to get out but still kind of enjoyed the life but as long as she had her protector yep uh and then kind of saw another way out to have a more normal life and i just i i believed her i believed her through the movie or the bad dialogue that was written for her and everything. I think she, I think she played it in an interesting and still like grounded way. Absolutely. And the fact that she makes the decision after he takes her to his dad's house and to, to stash yeah. her there for just a couple of days. Right. Um, and while she's there, it starts off with the interactions with her and Jennifer Coolidge 
And then we don't even see her and the dad ever interact with each other. But right. Except for to go to like, she goes to a meeting with him or something. She goes to the AA meeting. Right. Um, right before that, she, she says, uh, your dad was talking to me and I'm, I think I might go to a meeting Yeah, uh, with him. And then, the, right then is when her dad or his dad comes in is like you ready to go and she's like yeah and it's just sort of like oh they've been having a whole side story while we've been watching crazy cage run around town yeah like there's a whole um, episode of this series of just the two of yeah, them yeah that exactly. we not we didn't get to um, see um which i think was good i you know i don't i don't think of all the things they lingered on uh, you know, you felt like some of it was unnecessary and it's like, I don't know that we need to see that. We got caught up really well by her just saying, and oh, yeah. getting his, his reaction to that, you know, where he's like, Oh, I thought we were going to do drugs together and, and, you know, be this, <laughs> this couple, you know? And it's, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that played really well to do it that way. Absolutely. I, I actually very much liked that because Sometimes you need a sort of show don't tell, and sometimes you right. just need to like nope. Some stuff happened during the cutaway. Who cares? It do, because it's yeah. it's not central to the story that they're telling, but it's important for her story that that and happened, his. and and it, and it's important for his story in the whole, but not what we're seeing on screen. So I was fine with that right. because it comes full circle where when we get the one year later and he's getting promoted to captain, and you see she's pregnant. And, you know, he they're they're sitting around the table when the waiter comes over with the champagne and they're like, no, we're going to stick with oh, all yeah. our sparkling water. And you're thinking, great. They all got clean. They, they all, all got clean. Off. It's a happy ending it, 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 of this. Yeah. And, and it's and it's interesting because at that point I'm I'm watching this and I'm thinking I'm kind of feeling like. I get her and and his dad and his stepmom, that all feels earned, but for some reason it didn't feel earned with him at that moment of being clean and sober to do it right the way that they did because I felt like, yeah, but he's still like, he got into business with a drug dealer and he, you know, all this stuff that happened that he did that was terrible and then to then have the scene where he's sitting in a hotel room doing more drugs by himself and the look on his face while it's going on of like, he can't get out of that cycle. Right. And that was when I was like, okay, all right. So he hasn't gotten there yet. That felt to me more realistic. And because at the end of sort of the, the main plot, he's, he, I never got the sense like he was trying to get out of that spiral much. No, unlike, he just unlike his father out of it. Yeah. 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 Um, Un unlike there, his there father a, and his girlfriend who were trying to, they wanted to get out of it. And he just sort of lucked his way right. into everything. The, the most, the biggest decision we see him make is when he said, he tells Val Kilmer, you can't murder this guy. Yeah. We're taking him, we're taking him in. Like that's supposed to be like his moral stance, mm -hmm. but that says nothing about like his drug addiction and, and things like that. And you have to remember, like he still has a crippling back injury. Oh yeah. Like, so the idea of like, you know, pain management without something which would trigger the whole cycle again, which maybe that maybe that was what happened in that year, you know, but uh, I I like the callbacks at the very end of this movie. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you referenced the hotel room and the guy comes in and it's the guy he saved. Yes. At the beginning of the movie. And then we see that, oh, he's dragging this guy 
back into the, you know, so he saves him and then he kind of damns him immediately <laughs> where, where he's there at the aquarium, uh, high. And it's like, oh, he's dragging this guy that he saved back into the life, you know? And it's just sort of like, uh, I don't know, like kind of like saving somebody and then throwing him overboard again the next time you run into him. That could um, be. I didn't, for some reason, I didn't read the scene that way. And it felt to me more like he, like he looked at the guy who, and, and said, do fish have dreams? And they just, he, this, this guy who genuinely, you know, he'd been sober for a year, took him to an aquarium as a way to get him away from where he was. That's how I read it. Oh, was, interesting. I, I took it as they were both high at the aquarium. I, I took it as a, uh, a different. I had a different read on it, but um, and and thinking yeah, about it, and, I can I'm see saying that. I'm, I'm right. I probably I may have mis misread that, uh, but I did like the callback that it was the same guy, mm -hmm. and I like the callback about the fish having dreams. To uh, again, huge gap of time between the original reference to that, yeah, and the very end, but it seemed to fit better than the shoehorn Val Kilmer uh, partnership. Yes. Uh, at the beginning and the end. Uh, it was it was an interesting callback of like, oh, yeah, that is kind of a high thought he would have. Um, and also like uh, bringing us back to the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, uh, you know, the beginning of the movie, the end of the movie is on animals in water. Right. Um, and it's the same actor. Right. The first right. person yeah. we see is one of the last people that we see. And yeah, it's thinking about it. I can totally see how you would read that as like, cage got him high and they went to the aquarium and they're just sitting there stoned out of their gourd and he starts to cage gets that crooked goofy grin on his face right at the end um i just for some reason the way that i read it and i think it's because there was this uh everyone around him gotten sober and then he runs into this one other person and the guy who he saved this guy's life and in doing so it started a lot of his spiral of drug use to then happen to run into him 18 months later uh and the guy's like i i was making some bad choices but you saved me and wanting to return that favor and that's why to me it read is like he took him it, out of that and took him somewhere to like show him that it can it can be done as many bookends as we're talking about here <laughs> that does make a lot more sense to bookend the movie of like uh cage saves him and then he saves cage at the end like like that does make a lot of sense, and I probably just read, probably just read that completely wrong. Well, and uh, but my head was spinning a little bit by the end <laughs> of this movie. So, see, and and that's that's the thing about a movie like this that I really like is that there are different ways to read that, and it can depending on how your mindset when you started the movie and sort of how how everything played out for you while you're watching it, your conclusion at the end could be a little bit different, and. And I like that because then we can have that conversation of like, well, where, where did things change and how did it, how was it different? So yeah. you got from A to B to C and I got from A to B to C, but our C was a little bit uh, different uh, because a couple of, a couple of things along the way, like the, the whole f do fish have dreams? It didn't occur to me that that was a callback at the time because I, it had been so long since that moment in the movie right. that I had right. forgotten about that completely. So like that wasn't until it wasn't until right as the end credits started rolling, I was like, oh, that the the fish in the bowl or the fish in the cup. The beta, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the beta fish. Yeah. Like that's what. So, yeah, I love like this. This movie surprised me. 
I'm just going to say, I was not, I was expecting to have uh, a decent time with it because it's Cage and, you know, you wait for those Nick Cage freak out moments and you have some fun. Yeah. This was a genuinely good movie. Uh, I, I can't was, call it was, great, yeah. but. It was an interesting movie. Uh, That's a better word for we, it. It we, is. We've, we've talked a lot about, you know, choices and, you know, I would rather see somebody make a bold, creative choice and have it go sideways or have it even go bad, then, I mean, this will piss people off because people love this movie. Nicolas Cage did National Treasure, and Nicolas Cage is boring in National Treasure because it's a corporate movie with a a very Hollywood plot that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a fine movie, it's a fun movie, it's a family movie, but it's a boring movie in comparison to watching Nicolas Cage do something like this or Leaving Las Vegas or Mandy, or uh, Color Out of Space, where he's making these sort of wild choices that don't always land, but he's taking a chance, and he's making a choice, and he's committing to it. And to me, that's always going to be, uh, maybe not a better movie, but that's always going to be a far more interesting movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then to have an ending that's as ambiguous as this one, to where we can walk away with completely different reads to it, uh, Austin and I talk about 2001 a lot because yeah. we watch that for our show and there's just so much to pull apart. It's so ambiguous at the end of it that it makes you engage with it. It makes you actively put thought into it, which is what a piece of art is ultimately supposed to do. And you just have to respect it for that. Even if you don't like the movie, if it makes you engage with it and and think about oh, what does this mean? You know, like, like I have to respect it for that. So absolutely, uh, I'm I'm on the page with you. I didn't expect much except just a wild roller coaster ride, and and this movie is was far more interesting than I than I ever had expectations for it. Absolutely, I'm I agree a hundred percent. I mean, movies like National Treasure should exist, right? Just like pop music sure. should exist. There's a there's a place for that. There's a market for it. And I I saw both National Treasure movies in theaters. I had a good time with them. I kind of had an idea of what I was getting into going into it. I'm like, all right, this is going to be sure. I like national treasure came out kind of on the heels. It was during the whole sort of Dan Brown, Da Vinci code. Uh, it's Da Vinci thing. code light. I've always said. Yeah. That. So and so that movie is. Yeah. when I saw the trailer for it, I'm like, okay, that's clearly, you know, influenced by Da Vinci code. So I knew what I was getting into and there's nothing wrong with a good popcorn flick. Uh, no, just no, shut I'm your not, brain I'm off and escape. To, to trash talk that I'm just in comparison. It's a very safe, Movie, Absolutely uh, yes, no, for an and actor. And, yeah. and you're not wrong in that he's in that, but he's very boring in that. Uh, yeah, especially when you know when when you've seen Cage and other things, and you know what he's capable of, right? And you've seen yeah. him do Mandy. You've seen him even even prior prior to uh, that movie, um, coming out like eight millimeter was something where he made choices in that. And that movie went That's a places. really interesting movie too. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, and, and even in like the rock is a, is a very like big, dumb Michael Bay action movie, but like he's playing it big. And he's also like visibly restraining himself, uh, from going bigger. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, he's a, he's a nerd with a lot of rage that he's trying to like, there's depth to that character. You know, he's making big choices in mm-hmm. there. Uh, so, so it is like, yeah, I, you know, I, I like cage for that reason. He can give a, a interesting performance in, in stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why, you know, that was the big reason that I started doing this, uh, 
August as Cage Palooza every year was the guy is interesting and he does some fun stuff yeah. and you can you can see something like uh like you know Face Off or or Vampire's Kiss where he's just going ham the whole time and then you turn around and you watch something like Leaving Las Vegas and you're like dude won an Oscar for this and earned it like oh that movie is he's he's falling down most of the movie and still like crazy intense while he does it. Like, yeah. That, that performance is amazing. Like I said, at the top of the show, you, you never, you're never, uh, bored watching cage. Even when he's boring in a movie, there's stuff going on around him to make it, yeah. to make it work more. And he's kind of just using his name, but like, he's still never boring in, in itself. Yeah. There's always choices getting made wherever it is. Sometimes, like the first National Treasure, he's a lot more subdued. There is that scene in the second one where he just flips out and when they're in England. Uh, that's very. I never actually saw the second one, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there's a great scene where he starts doing like a terrible uh, English accent and and throwing out all <laughs> sorts of English cliches and just having like, he's creating a distraction. So he's his character is meant to be going nuts at that point. Okay. Um, and it's, it's very Nicholas cage. It's, it's a ton of it's them letting, letting Nicholas cage off the chain for yes. a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yep. And, uh, but I love when he I've, can, when he can be, when he can be aimed right and you get a director and you get, like I said, him with Werner Herzog or him with Martin Scorsese or, or whoever, yeah. uh, and just, just do something. And it's always compelling. Um, whatever it is, even when it's terrible, like season of the witch was not a good movie at all, but, I found myself drawn to it and enjoying watching it just because I was waiting to see what him and Ron Perlman were going to do next. I mean, even, uh, uh, what I just saw. Oh, uh, uh, why can't I think of the name? It's animated. Uh, spider verse. Oh yeah. He's, uh -huh. he's Spider-Man noir. And he's hilarious. He's hilarious in that. He's hilarious. He's the only thing in, uh, the kick-ass movie that I like. Because I think he's hilarious in, in Kick-Ass, uh, doing like basically an Adam West impersonation. So yeah. like when he does these kind of like very mainstream movies, he's uh, in in even like an animated movie. Like when he's playing Spider-Man Noir, he's animated. It's like how much can he improvise? And it's like now nah, he still like puts so much character <laughs> into he like takes it right up to the line of parody, but he stays on the right side of it. Yep, and and still like nails it down and. And I think that I think he just collaborates well because, uh, you know, that's animation. Obviously, is a huge team effort and yeah. and stuff like that. And he does these corporate movies, these Disney movies, and uh, you know, that's that's all corporate driven. That's all like producer notes and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then you get something like this where he's working with an auteur director, and they're both making big choices, but there seem to be clicking. You're getting interesting choices from. Nicholas Cage, and you're getting interesting choices from Werner Herzog to shoot New Orleans and not just have it look like like a goth Halloween. You know, they're not in the French Quarter. They're not in all the right. tourist spots of New Orleans. They're not trying to, oh, look how gothic and interesting this is. No, it's just, this is New Orleans. We're down in the streets. We're at street level in here, and and just yeah, and they know, were showing in the... like dead alligators and showing the ugly side of, of of what this city is, and it's just it's it's infinitely more interesting. And and to shoot it in New Orleans and do that, you know, as a post Katrina time setting, and you're showing yeah. all the rough, dirty, poor parts of town of a town that's already one of the poorest big cities in the in the country. Like, yes, I 
dug that because again, it's interesting. There's there's something there that yes. draws your attention. Um, so I love all that. Uh, I have a couple of clips I have to play because it's Nicolas Cage and you got to if, yeah. <laughs> if you know me, you know that I'm gonna catch. I, I always capture anytime people do the the really bad fake laughs, and <laughs> and Cage Cage can do that better than just about anybody. And there's two of them from that uh, that scene with Exhibit. Uh, that just he's he's high as a kite and he's t- starting to tell the story about watching the football player um, sprout this antlers. This one in, in in oh okay all right yeah uh, uh, I, I couldn't remember if this was the one in his in his car when he's waving the gun around or the one in the in exhibits house. It's in the in house. The office. Yeah, it's in the okay. house and uh, there's two of them. This is the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and, like. And then he follows it up, uh, you know, <laughs> less than a minute later with. <laughs> and he's just like all teeth and it's so good. And I forgot about I didn't capture the one in the car, but like that scene was great, too, because there yeah. again, he gets super serious, putting the gun to his head. And then he just starts laughing and like quoting song lyrics. <laughs> and they... It's yeah, it's it's unhinged. But like and, and I mean, you said it all teeth like. Yeah, the faces he makes. I mean, like you talk about like the things he says and the the voice inflection, but like his facial expressions and his mannerisms are like, I mean, it's all tied in. He's not just reading off a cue card or something. He's no. he go, every bit of him is doing doing the work. You know, his facial expressions are like if Jim Carrey couldn't contort his face the way that he does. That's what you would see. It's like. <laughs> Cage is trying to do the rubber face, but he just doesn't have those muscles. He doesn't have a rubber face, yeah. Um, I did, this was a fun little, uh, like, kind of running gag that is so subtle that I almost don't know if people would catch the, the running gag of it. And it is, and this is the first instance of it is when um, they are doing the rundown of what they're going to do to Exhibit and his two cronies, Midget and G. And when he says G... He's like, street name G. G. (laughs) And he chuckles like that. And then that name is said twice more. And both times he laughs after saying it. Like every time. I didn't catch that at all. And I feel like that was an ad lib by Nick Cage. And he's like, I'm just going to keep doing that. So that was the first one. Until someone tells me not to. (laughs) So that was the the first one. And then later on, he's sitting and he's talking. He lights up the joint. On the crime scene when he tells his partner, oh yeah, go out of yeah. the room, and then he lights up the joint and he's talking, and he, he mentions G again. G. <laughs> and he laughs. And then the last time... G. <laughs> so he just... The three times he says this guy's street name, he has to laugh after it. And he laughs reason, every time. I didn't catch that at all. <laughs> so, I was like, the second time he did it, I'm like, Maybe, but then it was the third one, and I was like, okay, well, third I'm, one. I'm, yeah. I'm going back and capturing those because it was too Oh, good. no, man, that's a good ear, man. I totally missed that. Um, Of course. You don't have a lucky crackpot? <laughs> like, <laughs> doesn't everybody? And the way, there again, we had, we had gone away from uh, solving the murder of these five people. Yeah. And hadn't mentioned it at all, and so this scene plays out, and I recognize the pipe. Because he took it off the prostitute right. in, the, in the parking garage. In the world's most uncomfortable scene. Yeah. Yes. But then for him to convince Exhibit to smoke off of it and then immediate And then so that happens. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a weird scene. But I guess he kept the pipe and whatever. 
And then the next thing is he's telling his partner, hey, you probably should go check that out again. They might have left a crack pipe or something under the bed while they were waiting. Right. And I'm like, holy crap, he actually does want to solve that case. He actually, like, like high as a kite, set up that guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a damn good detective to be able to do all that <laughs> that high. Um, oh, yeah. So th- that was a couple. Th- it's funny. It, there wasn't a lot of like great sound bites. Because a lot of it you have to see in context. A lot of it's like looks, yeah, and things. But those were those were audio clips that I just I had to get. Uh, the cage laugh, of course. Um, yeah, oh, that's great. Well, there was this one too. But I, I say I don't want you to just tr- stick to beer the way I do. But he's he says he can't do that. Oh, uh, Jennifer Coolidge was so good. The, all it everyone really was everyone yeah. in this movie. There wasn't like a bad performance in the movie, per se. Uh, I will say I was disappointed in Val Kilmer's performance, and that's not anything on him. I just think his character was so poorly written and had so little to do. I really, I like Val Kilmer a lot. Oh, I do too. Uh, and if you, if anyone hasn't seen the documentary, uh, Val, I highly recommend that, uh, because it's, he was, uh, he was one of the first, uh, actors or really one of the very early on had a video camera and has a lot of like home movies from being on set. And so it kind of documents his whole career and you will have a whole new appreciation for Val Kilmer after watching that. So I really, really wanted to, when I saw that he was in this movie, I really wanted him to be like a kind of pivotal role in it. And at the very first scene when they're together, I'm like, Oh cool. He's his partner. Yeah. He'll be in this whole movie, and he just wasn't. And then it, they were so at odds every time they were together. And I'm just like, what is this character? It's such a, it's such a nothing. And I ended up feeling bad for Val Kilmer because it's like he probably took this role because he wanted to work with Herzog. Probably you know, that would like, be my guess. There's so many good people in this movie that didn't necessarily have a lot to do, but it's like, what are you going to not work with Werner Herzog? Of course I'll take this movie. And then they just kind of got shortchanged on it. I feel like. Yeah. And, and it's really, it's unfortunate, right? Like there's some stunt cast. You can call it stunt casting if you want. Um, but I don't think Werner Herzog is ever going to stunt cast anyone. I think it's just, it's unfortunate that you get Val Kilmer in this movie and then he's barely in it. And I don't think when he's on screen he's fine, but he's given nothing to do. Yeah, that's what I that's what I mean. I think I think he's a damn good actor who was underutilized here. Mm-hmm. And that's same with uh, Michael Shannon. Oh, um, that was the other one. Yeah, Michael Shannon was the one. Was really surprised me when he showed up. I'm like, holy shit, it's Michael Shannon. Oh, now he's gone. Okay, <laughs> I guess I guess that's it. Yeah, and then he shows up again for like ten seconds in a scene later on in that, the in the um, evidence room, and then he leaves, and that's it. Never comes back. And I was like, "Was Michael? Sh- why would you cast Michael Shannon and then do that? And why would you not use Michael Shannon more? He's so great. Yeah, he really. And this really was kind was. of like the height of like Michael Shannon, uh, his his uh, indie movie cred was really high at this time. You know, Shotgun Stories and. Um, yeah, revolutionary uh, take shelter and, and uh, yeah, just yeah. I mean, he was a monster at this time. So yeah, I again, I just want more of him on screen. But I, I mean, Val Kilmer and Michael Shannon both are great. Uh, same yeah. thing with Feruza Balk. To have her in those yeah. two scenes and then just she's gone and that's it. Like 
That was I mean, it was really great to see her in that one scene in particular, but well, like, yeah, sure. uh, yeah, no, I, I, it was, I was like, oh, I haven't seen her in forever. It's great to see her in a movie again. And it's just like, oh, now she's gone. And, <laughs> oh, uh, never mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this movie just kept teasing you with like, hey, here's this great actor. <laughs> yeah, I was, I really expected that's what they were going to do with Brad Dourif. And then he got to come back a few times and that, yeah, that, that whole, cool. yeah. that, that last scene in the police bullpen is great where, it, he walks in, and the guy who the previous scene we'd seen him in is all like, oh, you messed up. You made a big mistake. And then everything goes down, and he's sitting there like, we got no problems anymore. We're cool. Like, I don't care what happened to those guys. And he right. leaves, and then Brad Dourif comes in all excited and handed him you know, his ten grand that he won. and like Throws 10000 cash in the middle of a police station again. Yep. Like <laughs> yeah, and like, and my daughter's speeding tickets got taken. Thank you. And then he leaves, and then the captain comes in with like, look what we found. Ha ha. And it's like that whole scene was just so crazy, and I loved every second of it. Because we It's like the end it's like the end of Wayne's world when like people yeah. just keep coming. Oh hey, I just got a record contract. Yes. Like every every plot thread gets sewn up. Yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> That's I mean, honestly. I, I kind of wish that Herzog had gotten his uh his way and that they hadn't put the bad lieutenant name on the on the beginning of this because yeah. I do feel like that hurts it a little bit and in, in that there is a tie to the Kaitel movie and it really it doesn't need to be there you could have just called this Port of Call New Orleans or give it any other name that you want and I think that it would work um but don't let yeah. the the name bad lieutenant steer you away from watching this if you haven't seen this movie before it's available on like four different free services online at supported yeah. ones to be free V uh, like free a bunch v, of them. I watch it. Uh, Amazon has it through, you know, Amazon has like third party. Yep. Uh, streaming at like, I think they use uh free V uh, through Amazon. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's got ads, but it's like, yeah, who cares? It shows you like a commercial every half hour or something like that. Yeah. It's not that bad. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, it's out, it's out there in, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think if if you like Cage, if you like interesting kind of art house movies, uh, you know, if you like drugs, not judging, you know, check this movie. <laughs> if you if you like iguanas, check this movie yeah. out. Give you know, find it streaming somewhere and just give it a half hour, you know. And and if it's not your thing, punch out. If you're having a good time, ride it out because it's 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 pretty wild and it's pretty fun. Absolutely exactly what i would say give it give it at least a half an hour and if it doesn't uh doesn't light your fire by then punch out and you, you're not hurting anything so yeah. that was bad lieutenant port of call new orleans phil thank you so much for being on this week it's always a pleasure to have you uh here and uh and you oh. just started back up uh the new season of the picture show right yeah Austin and i are back doing season five it's all science fiction movies this season we nice. came back with uh uh oh shoot oh i'm blanking ad astra uh oh nice. uh ad astra um and then 2010 drops tomorrow and uh we're recording this week for arrival we're kicking off just some uh kind of Big idea movies. Uh, but yeah, we we just started back. You can find us wherever uh, you get your podcast. That's The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. And uh, thanks so much for having me back for Cage of Palooza this year. 
Absolutely. Uh, Austin's really sorry. This ran into his D and D time. He couldn't make it uh, this year. We had a great time with Mandy last year, and I'm I'm just super stoked to have come back. I really appreciate it. Anytime, anytime, you are welcome. It's always great to have you on, and I'm definitely going to be getting in touch with Austin at some point. We'll I'll have to find a week he's not doing D and D and get him back in here. And give him enough heads up, he can move things around usually. But uh, yeah, yeah, get him back. Awesome. Well, Cage Palooza rolls on next week. I'm going to have Kit London back. Uh, she wants to watch a movie that I had never seen um, called City of Angels. And it was one that came out Ooh. came out in the mid-90s, and it was a movie that just didn't grab me at the time. Um, but I've heard some pretty good things about it, and so that's what we're checking out next week is City of Angels. I do remember I the like soundtrack. I like that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, I, I, I'll be interested to hear what you think of that, Travis. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to to see how it goes. So that'll be next week uh, as we get into week three of Cage of Palooza 2022. Uh, this show is available as a podcast every Wednesday, um, so you can get that anywhere you get your podcast or tvstravis.com. And uh, Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time, I stream live the recording of the show if you want to check it out live uh, and hang out in the chat room with us. So for Phil, thank you so much for being on this week. And uh, we're going to come back next week with City of Angels. So until then, just remember to enjoy your movies. And uh, hey, it's Nick Cage all the time. Cage Palooza. underwear on the cost $55.